Hey friends, my name's Weston Brown. I am one of the pastors at Covenant Shreveport, and it's an honor to be with you today, even in this virtual format. As we get rolling, let me just encourage you to very intentionally set aside this time uh, to encounter the Word of God, to hear from Him, and also to seek to put the things you hear into practice in your life and to just kind of get us into that headspace as we get started. Let's take just a few moments where you are, uh, do a couple of intentional things. First of all, uh, turn off your phone, put it on do not disturb, your iPad, whatever devices you have around you. If you need to go put them in another room, do that. Uh, turn off the TV if, unless you're watching this or whatever. Um, but let's just get rid of distractions and let's just try to zero in on uh, what the Lord might have to say to us today. And as we do that, let's take a few moments to center our hearts and our minds on him. Let's just sit in silence where we are. And I want to invite you to just reflect on God's goodness. How has he been good to you um, over the last few months in the midst of pandemics and hurricanes? How has God provided for you and your family? How's he come through for you? Let's take a few moments and just sit in silence reflecting on who he is and what he has done and then we'll jump into today's text. Almighty God, to you all hearts are open, all of our desires are known, from you none of our secrets are hidden. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, so that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. So. We have tons of labels in American Christianity. You can just kind of walk down the list. Protestant, Catholic, Evangelical, Baptist, Methodist, Charismatic, Reformed. I mean, you could just go on and on and on. I think you get the idea. None of those distinctions are like inherently bad. And yet at the same time, the myriad of labels can be extremely confusing. It can be confusing to people inside of the Christian world, but even more confusing to people who are outside of the Christian sphere. One of the issues though, is that many of those identities really do not get to the heart of how we are called to live life. Even the simple word Christian can be sort of challenging because your understanding of what it means to be Christian is wrapped up in your personal experience of other Christians and your experience of churches. And those experiences can be positive or negative, but either way, they've shaped your understanding of what that word means. At Covenant Shreveport, we love to use the phrase, the way of Jesus, to describe the life that Christ has called us to live. And, and this is a life that's not based first and foremost on some sort of denominational identity, but rather on the example of Jesus found in the pages of scripture. It's a way of life that's very different from 
the prevailing culture. In fact, by definition, the way of Jesus is a countercultural way. It's a narrow path. And, and so today I want to talk about the way of Jesus and how it relates to a whole bunch of other words that we use often. Words like believer, disciple, and the word missionary. Key words that are a part of your experience at Covenant Church, words you hear all the time. And I want to also identify three key ways to following the way of Jesus that you may be missing or you may find that a deficit in your life. In the 13th chapter of John's Gospel, and you can turn there with me, 13th chapter of John's Gospel, Jesus does something that his followers find very strange. And that's nothing new for Jesus. He's doing strange things all the time. But, but this particular action really catches his disciples off guard. As they all gathered together in an upper room to celebrate the Jewish feast of Passover, in the middle of dinner, Jesus leaves the table, he changes his clothes, he pours water into a basin, and he begins cleaning the feet of his disciples. Now, if you know anything about this time in history, most people wore sandals, roads were made out of dirt, they were often covered in mud and animal dung. And, and so, needless to say, the disciples were confused. Why was the Messiah, the Son of God, the creator of all things, stooping before them to perform such a disgusting act? And yet, after washing the dirt and the muck and the dung off of their feet, Jesus asked them a question, a very simple question. He's he says, do you understand what I've done to you? Do you understand what I have done to you? And while his followers sat there speechless, Jesus continued. You can follow along in John 13, verses 14 and 15. Jesus says, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. And while many people take that as a literal command to go and physically wash the feet of other people, and I think there's some value in that, I also think that Jesus is at the same time teaching a much larger principle to his disciples, which was this, that his life and his actions constitute a physical manifestation of how we are to live as his followers. In other words, we should look to Christ not only as our savior, but also as our model for life, as our example for life. And, and so some of the words that we mentioned earlier, words like missionary, words like disciple, the reality is that Jesus is all of those things. He's all of those things. And since we're instructed to pattern our lives after his, we're also called to be those things. To be a disciple is to be a learner, but not in a general sense, not just to acquire more knowledge in your life. To be a disciple means intentionally learning how to live like whomever your master is. Learning how to follow whomever your, mas whomever your master is. And though Jesus was God, and even though he had his own disciples, he also was a disciple. In that he says, I only do what I see my father doing. So even Jesus, 
in the incarnation, as the word became flesh in his time on earth, even Jesus was patterning his life after the example of the father. Jesus was also a missionary in that we learn that he was sent by God. He was sent by the father so that whoever would believe in him shouldn't perish, but would have everlasting life. So when you hear pastors and teachers say that we're called to be disciples or followers or believers or missionaries, recognize that those aren't things other than following Christ. Those aren't things that are other or on top of or in addition to following the way of Jesus. So as a result, there aren't people who are like, for example, called to be disciples but are not called to be missionaries or, or vice versa. There aren't people who are called to be missionaries who aren't also called to be disciples. We're called to all of this because this is the way that Jesus modeled life for us. God has sent you to a place so that you might be a disciple in that place, so that you might declare and demonstrate the gospel, so that you might go with the Holy Spirit and interact with the place where you've been sent and to the people to whom you've been sent in the same way that Jesus did, singing, seeking to bring light and love and hope and truth into your context. But as you guys know, that's all much easier said than done. Uh, for many Christians, living this kind of life is elusive, but, but I think there are three components of the way of Jesus that are especially challenging, especially elusive, um, because quite simply, they are just not easy. And, and yet, let's remember at the same time, as we're saying that, let's remember that Jesus never promised that his way would be an easy way, did he? Quite to the contrary, he says things like this, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. That's Matthew 16. He also says this in Matthew 7, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. So Jesus has called us to something that is not inherently easy. In fact, he makes it very clear it is going to be challenging. But here are three areas that seem to be especially challenging, three areas that Jesus directly modeled for us. And for many believers out there, their lives are just devoid of these three areas. And if we don't intentionally address them in our lives, then who we are as missionaries in our context, in our place, who we are as disciples, our effectiveness will be greatly limited. The first of these three is self-denial. Self-denial. Self-denial is at the heart of the way of Jesus, and it's central to what Jesus was teaching his disciples by washing their feet. But the foot washing thing, it was just like a, a foreshadowing. It was just like a precursor, a preview of what was to come, because only a few short hours after he washes his disciples' feet, Jesus would be arrested, beaten, and ultimately murdered. It was in his power to avoid all of those things. And yet, as Paul says in Philippians, he humbled himself 
Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, even the most like painful, violent, horrific death imaginable. Jesus humbled himself. So Jesus doesn't only deny himself by performing like menial or disgusting tasks that were honestly beneath him. His humility extended all the way to self-sacrifice for the good of the world, for the good of you and me. So needless to say, he's, he set a high bar for us. But, but don't be discouraged by that. Don't be discouraged by the fact that we can't fully live up to Jesus' grand example. Instead, let's also take Paul's words to heart and press on. Let's press on toward the goal of the upward call of God in Christ. And recognize this in the midst of all of that. If your life revolves around you and your desires and your schedule, your preferences, if that's what your life orients around, then Jesus simply is not central for you. Not to say that as like a condemnation, more just an observation. If, if you are the center of your life, then Jesus clearly isn't the center of your life. Instead, it's quite possible you worship a false god called the self. But don't maybe beat yourself up about that. The reality is, is that's what most people in our world are doing. Because that's what our secular mainstream culture is discipling us towards. Now, whether you realize it or not, we're all being discipled. The question is, are you being discipled by the way of Jesus? Jesus' basic gospel call is that we would repent and believe, that we would turn from who we used to be and that we would believe in him by following him in obedience. And a key feature of Christian repentance is turning from following ourselves. It's not just turning from our sinful actions. It's turning from the very thing that led us to many of those sinful actions, which was following our will rather than his will. So turning from following ourselves and starting to follow him. Someone once said, and I love this, someone once said that humility is not necessarily thinking less of ourselves, but thinking of ourselves less. And that seems like a reasonable definition to me. How can you begin to think of yourself less and others more? How can you bless others rather than just yourself? How, how can you intentionally seek to use your resources for the good of others rather than just your own good? One answer to those questions, one tool in your tool belt that you can use in, in your pursuit of those things, of, of denying yourself in your daily life, one piece that could be extremely helpful to you is actually number two on our list of elusive challenges in pursuit of the way of Jesus. And that is that we would cultivate intentional spiritual practices. Friends, I can't put it more simply. If you are not engaging basic spiritual practices in your daily life, then you are simply not following the model of Jesus. But what do, what do I mean? What do I mean by spiritual practices? Another phrase we could use might be the phrase spiritual habits. And there are many of these. And I want to point out one in particular today that we see Jesus engaging in the pages of Scripture. 
And I think this is the foundational spiritual practice. Um, I think it's the one uh, that's also possibly the most supernatural and the one on which everything else kind of seems to hinge. And it's prayer. Jesus is constantly pulling away to be alone, to be with his Father, and to pray. And yet so many Christians today live lives that are just devoid of prayer. And there, I think, are a host of reasons for this. I didn't grow up in a home where I saw people praying. I was never taught how to pray. Like, or I don't think I can pray the way that I hear my pastors praying at church. Or, or maybe it's, you know, I, I don't really know that I believe that this prayer stuff actually does anything. I think these are all valid thoughts that many people have. But no matter where, where you fall on that spectrum, recognize this. Prayer is not only this incredible privilege that we've been called to engage, this communication between us and the creator of all things. It's also a source of spiritual power. It's a source of spiritual power in our lives because it's through prayer that we hear from the Lord. It's also through the pages of scripture that we hear from the Lord. It's through prayer that we appeal to him on behalf of ourselves and others. It's through prayer that we find comfort in the midst of a broken and tumultuous world. And if your life is devoid of the habit of prayer, if your life is devoid of intentional, meaningful, regular prayer, then who you are as a missionary, who you are as a disciple, who you are as a follower of the way of Jesus in your context is going to be greatly affected. It's going to be greatly limited. In other words, a great missionary prays for the people that she is sent to. A great missionary prays for his context. He appeals to God on behalf of his neighborhood, his workplace. So if you don't have a habit of intentional daily prayer, here's what I would suggest to you. I would suggest blocking out two no less than 10 minute times each day when you intentionally engage with God through prayer. And my recommendation would be making it the first thing you do every morning and the very last thing you do every night and, and just starting there. Now, now remember, prayer is not just you constantly talking. I think sometimes that's how we think about it. And you think, man, how am I going to talk to God for 20 minutes every day. That seems really hard, but remember that prayer is equal parts speaking and listening. That it's also a time for us to sit with the scriptures and meditate on God's word. It's a time to just sit and, and seek to hear from him and to listen to the still small voice. A few other tips that I would throw out to you guys, things that have been helpful to me in my life. One is just keep a prayer list. If you've ever been in like a small group or something and it comes to the prayer time and you start taking prayer requests, I, I think it becomes immediately apparent the people in the group who actually do have a regular habit of prayer because often they are the people who most quickly come to the surface with prayer requests. And sometimes I've found that I sit down to have a time of prayer, but sometimes it's hard to focus my thoughts or center my mind. And so having just a prayer list where I keep track of here are the people I'm praying for, here are the situations that I'm praying for, here's what I'm praying for in my own life, 
and, and also keeping track of the way that God has answered prayers in the past. I, I think this is incredibly helpful. It teaches us about the importance of repetition, and it also shows us that God is faithful. It reminds us of that fact as we keep up with the ways that he has answered our prayers over time. Another option could be a prayer journal to actually sit down and, and write out your prayers longhand. That's not something I do personally, but I know many people who find that to be a really valuable practice as they're engaging with prayer. Another thing I would recommend to you guys is to use scripted prayers. If, if that's not something you've ever done before, then there are a ton of resources out there. Uh, there. There are things like the Book of Common Prayer, which you can just Google and find it online, that provides you um, with basically orders uh, to pray by each day, uh, also daily scripture readings and that kind of stuff as well. Um, and when you think about it, we, we find scripted prayers in the Bible. In many ways, the Psalms are like scripted prayers. Uh, even the Lord's Prayer itself is a scripted prayer that has been given to us. So there's nothing wrong with doing that. Don't feel strange about that if all you've ever experienced is just kind of off the top of your head extemporaneous prayer. Both of these things are good and valid. Um, one other thing I would recommend, especially as we're thinking about, well, what does it look like to be a missionary in my context, in my neighborhood, in my workplace, is consider taking a prayer walk. Um, one thing you can do is go to Google, don't do it right now, but go to Google and, and Google these words, 30 days of praying through your neighborhood. 30 days of praying through your neighborhood. There's this great resource from the Navigators, which is a Christian organization, uh, that will give you a guide for just kind of walking around your place, walking around your neighborhood every day for 30 days and praying simple prayers. Maybe things you've never even prayed before. Prayers like, uh, Lord, I pray that somebody on my street would invite me to dinner. Have you ever prayed that? Uh, or, or God, would you cultivate in me a heart for hospitality? Show me which of my neighbors you want me to invite into my home. Doing that repeatedly, regularly, um, intentionally engaging God and appealing to him on behalf of others. Just incredible fruit will come from that. And then finally, the last area central to the way of Jesus and yet elusive for so many people is true gospel-centered community. Now listen, let me clarify what I'm not saying here. I'm not saying you just need to attend an event called community. This very strange thing happens in the American church where we talk all the time, seemingly, about community, and yet when you get into the church, oftentimes the depth of relationships just kind of stays on the surface. We all desperately need to play a role in a group of people who are collectively seeking to orient their lives around the way of Jesus. Not just a group that gathers to have Bible study, not just a group that gets together to do service projects, but a group of people who are actively seeking to remind each other of the gospel of Jesus and the mission that he has for us. Whether you realize it or not, whether you want it or not, we all desperately need that in our lives. Jesus had that type of community. His disciples had that type of community. Never do we really see Jesus sending out people alone, just solo, by themselves. He's always sending people out to do the work of gospel mission in groups. You need gospel-centered community. 
And so many people today just don't have this. They've just never experienced this in the life of the church. And, and here's one of the reasons why. Here's one of the reasons why. Your pastors cannot manufacture this for you. Your pastors can't create this for you. Now, your pastors can perhaps foster a culture within your church that leads towards this or points toward this, but, but ultimately... It's not something that we can just magically create. And that's because true gospel-centered community depends on you. True gospel-centered community depends on you. It's not just something that you can attend. It's also something that you have to help create. And that's because a real community is interconnected, isn't it? A real community has this symbiosis to it this dependence on each other. It's the sum of its parts. Uh, if, you, if you take from a community and take and take and take and take while others give and give and give and give, then you're going to have an unhealthy community. So God has not called you to just belong to a community. He's actually called you to help foster gospel-centered community for, for the good of yourself and for the good of others. And for each of us, there should, to some extent, be concentric circles of gospel community in our lives. I'm not just talking about a small group at your church. Like, maybe for many of you, the basic gospel community that you could experience would be your marriage. You and your spouse coming together to bear one another's burdens, right? To be this manifestation of the church, of the body of Christ in your home, modeling the way of Jesus before your children, showing them what it looks like to not be perfect, but to seek Christ in life. What have you started there? What have you tried to cultivate intentional gospel community in your marriage? And then that spills over into the concentric circle of your family, your extended family, your neighborhood, your church, and kind of out and out and out. If everyone just comes to church, though, as a consumer of gospel community, there will be no gospel community because it requires you to be a producer. It requires you to be an active participant, not just receiving encouragement from others, not just having other people preach the gospel to you, but you reciprocating that as well. You reminding others of the gospel, you encouraging others, you, pour, you pouring into others, you bearing the burdens of other people, you serving, loving, caring, while also receiving those kinds of things as well. That's a real gospel community. And those are things we all desperately need. Self-denial, spiritual practices, gospel-centered community, these are not separate things. They're actually deeply intertwined. If you don't have a thriving gospel community in your life, if you're not in any way seeking to practice intentional spiritual rhythms in your life, then it's going to be really hard for you to live a life of self-denial, right? It's really going to, going to be very difficult for you to push past those things. So we need all of this. We need to be pursuing all of this as we seek to be the men and women that Christ has called us to be. All things modeled by Jesus, all things we see in the pages of Scripture, all things none of us do perfectly, but all things we desperately need if we're going to be his disciples, followers of his way, his missionaries. 
Let's go to God and ask him to show us in our lives how we can begin to take steps in each of these directions. Just where you are, close your eyes, bow your head, begin to consider the things that we've talked about. And in your heart, give over your selfishness to him, your pursuit of your own comfort, your desire to maybe live this kind of insular life in your context rather than seeking to know others and be known by others and to reach out and serve. Would you begin to just give those things over to him? Let's go to him in prayer. Jesus, we give you praise and honor and glory for being our Lord and Savior for being self-sacrificing, for humbly going to the cross, humiliating yourself, even to the point of death on a cross, so that we might hear your good news and be changed, empowered by your Holy Spirit, equipped with your gospel message, sent out into our world, not just as church people, but as your missionaries, as your emissaries, as your ambassadors, going out into our places and letting others know that we have found life and hope and truth. Father, help cultivate within us the things that we so desperately lack Father, grow within us this ability to deny ourselves in the way that Jesus denied himself, to serve others with, with abandon, reckless abandon, to give of our stuff and our money and our time willingly, because that's what Jesus did. It's who you've called us to be. Help us to pursue intentional spiritual practices like prayer, practices we see Jesus engaging like fasting, Help us to dig into the pages of Scripture so that we might learn more about him, what he's like, what he did, how he lived, so that we might pattern ourselves after him. And let us seek to do that within the context of gospel-centered community. And Father, if that's something we just don't have in our lives, I pray, one, that you would propel us to desire to help create it, but that you would also surround us with other people who desire the same things for your glory. We love you, Jesus. We ask all of these things in your name. Amen.